Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. It's good to be here, and, uh, and especially as we think about Thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Um, and we can start with our, our, our salvation, and uh, really that's the biggest thing, that someday, I think of the, uh, the apostles, when, when they cast out demons and uh, God granted them great power, and they said, don't rejoice over that, but rejoice that your names are, are written in heaven. Philippians is our text today. We'll be looking at chapters 2 through 5. It's kind of a famous text called the Kenosis passage uh, because of what's written in verse 8. And it's never really been a controversial passage until the last 100 years or so when modernism uh, kicked in. But we'll, uh, we'll work our way through that and see it's a pretty simple um, text, I believe. Um, before we get into that, I want to just wish um, a young lady a happy 16th birthday. How many people remember their 16th birthday? I was, I was trying to remember it. I'm like, I have no idea what I've done with 16th birthday, quite honestly. Um, but Abigail, our youngest, is turning 16, and so her birthday is tomorrow. So uh, if you get a chance, give her some birthday pinches, not punches, that's for the guys, birthday pinches. And uh, she'll appreciate that, I'm sure. <laughs> so Philippians chapter 2, um, I'm talking to Linda this morning about baseball and her grandson being a, a very good baseball player. And when I look at this passage, I want to give you something about baseball that will help you with your Christianity. Because if you will remember this passage in times of difficulty, in times of struggles, in times of hardship, you can always go back to this, this passage and it'll give you comfort and, um, and it'll encourage you, I believe. Um, when I played baseball, um, there was always a saying, and everybody who's played baseball probably is familiar with this, is when you're batting, it was always keep your eye on the ball, right? Keep your eye on the ball. Now, when we were in Ireland, I started a baseball team. We started like a, a youth team just as an outreach. We started a co-ed softball team, and I haven't swung a bat. I hadn't swung a bat in years. So I was like, wow, I'm going to start this and coach this, and I don't want to embarrass myself. So I went back to a drill that helped me keep the eye on the ball. And it was a simple drill. There, there was a, like a fence, and you stood there at the bat, and somebody would just toss a ball up to you, and you would look at that ball all the way in and hit against the fence. And you would just train your eye. And if it was baseball, they would do it fast. And so I went back to that, and as I went back to that, it gave me confidence to know that every time I would hit, I would make good contact because I was doing that drill. And it kept my focus on the ball. And that's what we see here today. The Apostle Paul, we saw last week, he wrote, remember he's writing to a church at Philippi. He's under house arrest, but he's chained. So it's not like a house arrest we think today. He's chained to a guard, prison guard, a Roman soldier. And he's writing back to the church at Philippi. And we saw last week there's a problem um, with two prominent godly women. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Godly women 
and they're apparently having a, a falling out. They falling out with each other. And it was very, very dear to Paul, so much so he wrote about it. And now today he gives us an example. In verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, Let nothing be done through, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. That's what we want to focus on today. Lowliness of mind. It simply means to have a humble mind. Now remember, a humble mind doesn't mean that that we think uh, badly about ourselves. Okay, that's that's like a self-esteem issue. A humble mind means that we're not thinking about ourselves at all. We're thinking about another person, or we're thinking about the glory of Jesus Christ. That's a humble mind. Okay, now. In verse 5, we have our example, Jesus Christ. Isn't it so amazing that Christ didn't just come to this earth and tell us what to do? He was our example. And the Bible says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which, also, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's what we want to focus on today. The Lord Jesus Christ had a mind not for his own glory, but for the glory of his Father. And we want to have that example, see that example of Christ. It's not about us, but it's about God. And that's the thing we want to look at. Now, today we want to see th three things. The First of all, that Jesus Christ, as our example, was humble. He showed humility. And his humility, again, was not his own reputation, but God's reputation, God the Father. Number two, he endured hardship. We as believers will endure hardship because we're believers. First of all, we have an enemy, the devil. He's not just an enemy, he's an adversary. He opposes us. An enemy can be dormant. An adversary is active all the time, so we have an enemy. So we're going we're gonna, to... Um, Christ endured hardship, we will face hardship, and then there's honor. Humility, hardship, and then honor. And that's what we see with Christ, and that's what we'll see um, in our lives as well. So let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray today as we look at the word of God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, God-man, 100% God, became man at the incarnation, 100% man. He walked this earth with one primary purpose. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He died a brutal death on the cross for our sins. But he also gave us an example of meekness, of obedience, of humility of surrender to our will and father that is a battle that we all face and as we think in the context of unity we need to have humble minds perhaps this week we'll be challenged with thanksgiving as we're around loved ones and relatives and siblings and perhaps neighbors but father speak to us today we need to hear from you because naturally speaking, we don't have humble minds. Naturally speaking, we desire our will. 
So we need to hear from you today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Humble. Jesus Christ is humble. Now look at verse 6 to see this humility. Who, speaking of Christ, being in the form of God. That word form there is morphe. It means, in essence, Jesus Christ is God. That never changed. When Jesus Christ took on the form of man, the God-man, he never stopped being God. He was always God. The universe would fall apart if he wasn't God. He is God. That never changed. So that's very important for us to see. Now, I want to kind of put stakes in the ground with that because some of the things we're going to say now, you're going to think, well, does that mean he wasn't God anymore? No. Okay. He was always God. So let's go to a couple passages. Let's go to John. First of all, let's go to John chapter 2. I want to show you that Jesus Christ, the attributes of God, we think of God's attributes, you think of he's omnipresent, right? He's all present, he's omnipotent, he's all powerful, right? And he's omniscient, he's all knowing. That never changed. When Jesus walked the earth, that never changed, okay? So we want to see that. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to John 2. I want you to look at chapter 23. Again, it's very important. I was taught a long time ago by my pastor and in my theology uh, training is this. Sometimes when there's a passage that's a little bit confusing, confusing, you have to first establish what is it not saying, okay? And you do that based on the totality of scripture. So what the passage in Philippians is not saying at Jesus was any time not God, okay? He was always God. Now, John chapter two, verse 23, now when, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men, now look at this, and had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. Omniscient. When Jesus walked the face of the earth, he was omniscient. He knew the thoughts of men. He never surrendered that. Okay? Very important for us to see. Now, he was also omnipresent. Go to John chapter 3. This is when he, during the incarnation, this is when he walked the earth. John chapter 3, verse 13. I love this passage. It's kind of like it blows your mind. No one has ascended, this is Christ speaking, to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. So he's talking to people and he's on earth, but he's saying, but I'm in heaven. Why? Because I'm omnipresent. In his incarnation, he was omnipresent. And then you don't have to turn there because you know the story. We could turn to many different passages. But the passage in John chapter 11 with Lazarus, and what did Jesus do? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. And by the way, he did not give uh, God the Father glory for that. He did it on his own power, which kind of dif differentiates between like Elijah, who raised the, the, the brought the, the dead boy back to life because he, he gave the, the 
the glory and attribute to God the Father. And so Jesus Christ, when he walked the face of this earth, he is God. Now, keep that in mind. Let's go back to Philippians, okay? Philippians chapter 2. Now, we're on this little point of his humility. Jesus Christ, this mind that Jesus Christ had him and God wants us to have is his humble mind. Now, this is where it comes into play. Look at verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you an example. When I lived in Ireland, um, one day I told my daughter, my oldest daughter, go into Chris's garage, garage, garage in Ireland, next door. I have a hard time saying garage, but anyway, go into the garage next door and I want you to break in, I think his windows open, and I want you to grab, I don't know, it was some type of tool and just bring it to me. Okay. So she did, and I went out, and it was a shovel or whatever it was, and I and she got into the garage, and she opened the door, and she brought it out, and she gave it to me, and I used it. And then a few days later, my neighbor came over and said, hey, do you have this tool? I said, oh, yeah, I have it in my shed. Okay. You say, you broke into your neighbor's garage. No, I didn't. You know why? Because we had a deal. Whenever you need something, you just come to my house and take it, and whenever I need something, I'll just come to your house and take it. That's kind of what this passage means. You see, Jesus Christ is God, right? He's God. But someone came into his house, so to speak, okay, and took away his, I want to say his deity, because it wasn't his deity, but took away the benefits of his deity and took it. And Jesus didn't stop them because he said, it's okay. I will voluntarily give that over to you. I lay it aside. I lay aside not my positional deity, or excuse me, my personal deity, but I'll give up my positional deity. So I am God, but I will surrender this over, even though I am God. Now, what does that mean? Again, we already said what it doesn't mean. Look at verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. That's the kenosis passage because it's, it's known as kenosis passage because the Greek word is kenosis. It literally means to empty himself. Remember the song emptied himself, um, but all, what is it? Emptied himself of all but love, Charles Wesley. When Charles Wesley wrote that, he understood this passage. He just, he didn't think anybody would think that Jesus emptied himself as a deity because he didn't do that. We just established that. So what did he empty himself of? But made himself of no reputation. Now, I think it's explained in verse, in verse 7 right here. Taking the form of a bondservant. There's the first thing. Bondservant is the word that can be translated in the Greek. It's doulos and to be translated as a slave. Jesus Christ was not the guy calling the shots as he was in glory. Jesus Christ now was the one that was serving. Now, remember that the, the disciples when they came and uh, it was the Last Supper and, and Jesus washed their feet. When they came through that door, they're usually typically at home was a servant to do that. And apparently there wasn't a servant. So all the disciples are looking at each other and saying, I'm not washing your feet. I'm not washing your feet. I'm prominent, right? 
So they all sat there. And then to their um, absolute, I want to say dismay, but they were kind of like blown away. The Lord Jesus Christ takes out the towel and he begins to wash the feet. And he teaches them that Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. So in that way, in that way, he emptied himself, not of his deed, but he surrendered himself to be a servant. Now, there's a second way, too, that comes out here. Again, we're on this point of humility at the moment. See how humble that is. That the God of glory would come down to be a servant. And we'll talk about that later. Now, he also says this. And coming, in verse 7, and coming in the likeness of men. Okay, that means he, he became man. Okay. And being found in the appearance as men. That word appearance. And by the way, when it says likeness of man and appearance of man, um, that's not morphe. He was not in essence man. He became man and he was 100% man. Okay. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. He was born of a woman. Okay? He was man. 100%. He became man. In verse 8 it says, and being found in the appearance. That word in the Greek is schema. It means just what it is. He appeared as a man. When you looked at Christ, you looked at him and he looked like a man. Now he was a man. But he was veiling his deity. And that's the second way. He emptied himself. He emptied himself of his glory in appearance. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Let me show you. Because he gives us a little bit of a, of a, um, just a little example of his glory in Matthew 17. So when the Bible says that he took on the form of a man, it means his appearance was out of a man instead of the, his true appearance, which is deep. He was man, yes. He was God, yes. But he veiled his appearance of God. It sounds complicated. It is. <laughs> Try to explain that. <laughs> In Matthew 17, verse 1, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brothers, uh, brother, excuse me, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That well word is metamorphosis. That's the word for a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Okay? You hear that word morphe in it? Remember Jesus, morphe? Metamorphosis is what's, what's really, what's, what's in the true part and now comes out. Okay? That's what Jesus did. Remember, he had the appearance of man, so the outward appearance of man, but who he really was in in essence, is coming out now. Now it says this. He was transfigured, metamorphosis, before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And they were, they were afraid, especially when they heard the voice of God the Father. And so there you see Christ showing a glimpse of who he really is. His brightness and glory. Remember, God isn't... When you think of a person, we think of a body. Person is not, is not a body. Person is personhood. Emotion, intellect, and will. We're people. We're made in God's image. God gets angry. We get angry. God gets sad. We get sad. Etc. God thinks. We think. Animals don't do those things. 
And so when you think of, don't think of God as form, God is spirit, John chapter four. But Christ is showing his glory in this bright light. Now, all that in mind, okay? Taking off now what the kenosis passage means. What does it mean when he emptied himself? What does it mean? What does it not mean by emptying himself? We just covered. Now, let's get to this, this point here now. I want you to turn to John chapter one because I want to apply to see. Remember we talked about keeping your eye on the ball and how important that is and always go back to that. I want us to always go back to this. God became man. Always go back to that. The creator of the universe, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Now look at this. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Micah 5, 2, from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus Christ did not begin. Jesus Christ was always there. He's eternal. In fact, the Bible says this. Now look at this. And all things were made through him. And does that mean all things? Good question. Yes. And without him, nothing was made that was made. I mean, bang. He is the creator of the universe. Now, you know how big the universe is? You've probably heard this before from me. But let me say it again. Our galaxy is two light years, or, uh, or excuse me, our solar system is two light years across. In other words, it takes light two years to go from the sun all the way out to Pluto, which by the way, has been deemed a planet again. And I'm sure that's important for you to know. Um, all the way out there, right? Aren't you thrilled now? Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Okay. It circles the earth about seven, seven times in a second. Two years ago across our solar system. Jesus Christ created that. Our solar system compared to the Milky Way galaxy is like taking a half dollar and putting it in North America. That's the comparison. God made that. And our solar system is one of millions upon millions. And why did God do that? Because... He did that to show how big he is. He's so big we can't comprehend it. That God came down and became man voluntarily. And we're having a hard time sometimes. We ought to just go back to that. He realized. And it gets, it gets much better. It gets much better. So the creator of the universe. Now, I want us to go back now to our passage in Philippians. We get to our second point. Hardship. Not only did Jesus Christ have this humble mind to be a servant and wash people's feet, but he faced a lot of hardship. In verse 8, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You know why it says that little phrase? Remember the beginning we, were, we, we talked about Philippi? Philippi was planted in Macedonia and it was considered to be a little Rome. It was a Roman presence. There was a lot of Roman guards there. And they tried to change the Hellenistic culture. 
that permeate the region and influence that culture with the Roman culture. Again, it was called a little Rome. Now, here's the thing. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. It was too hideous and degrading of a death. And yet Jesus Christ, when Paul's writing back to the church at Philippi, and part of the reason is writing is you need to have this humble mind like Christ, right? And, and remember now that Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, he died a death on the cross in a place where the Romans weren't allowed to die like that. That's how much he humbled himself. That's why he puts the phrase, even the death of the cross. You see it? And it was so much more than that. So much more than that. That's why I had Brother Mark read out of um, Isaiah 53. Let's, let's go back there for a second. I'm going to skirt through this really quickly. I preached on this, I know, when I was here one time. But I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. So I want you to give you the terms, because sometimes the English doesn't pull this out. I went through this passage very carefully. I studied it. Then I listened to a Hebrew scholar who went through every verse and picked apart the verses and said, told, told you exactly what it meant. It's amazing. Let me, let me highlight a couple of things in verse 3. He is despised. That means to be disdained. A disdain. He was hated. He was hated so bad, if you look at verse 14 of chapter 2, the Roman soldiers despised Jesus Christ. They despised him so bad. And by the way, side note, remember the Philippian jailer Instead of facing the wrath of Rome, he would have rather fallen on his sword and killed himself. And he would have if Paul didn't say something. Jesus Christ faced the wrath of Rome, but even much more than many. Because they disdained him. They hated him. They looked at him as a peasant and said, how dare you call yourself a king? We're the elite people of the world. That's why in verse 14 it says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his vicious was, was marred more than any man. His appearance, his face, and I listened to this scholar, he said, His face was so badly beaten, you wouldn't recognize that even as a human face. You couldn't distinguish his face between a human and an animal. That's how badly he was beaten. Let this mind be in you. He surrendered himself to that. He was disdained in verse 3, the Bible tells us. He was rejected. In verse 3, it talks about grief, not just in his death. Yes, his death was, was horrible. But it says, a man is sorrows and, and, and acquainted with grief. That's the grief of the human plight. He saw the depravity of man. He mixed with man and his, he seed. He had to suffer as he looked at that. And knowing the destination of man. Remember when he looked over Jerusalem after they, he, they rejected him at Palm Sunday? And he wept because he knew it was going to happen in 70 AD. They were going to be leveled by Titus and the Romans. And they were going to be beaten and famished. And it was hideous. Read through the book of Lamentations. It's very similar to what happened about him. 
acquainted with grief. In verse 5 it says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. My Greek friend explained, and I think the ESV, I think it's probably a better translation here, he was crushed. There's no stronger word that you can use in the English language. I mean, excuse me, in the Hebrew language than was used there for the beating that he took. In verse 9, it also says in, in, chap, in, in chapter 53, when it says, And they made his grave the wicked, but with the rich at his death. That word death is in the plural, and it, it points to the fact that it was a violent death, which we already attested. Interesting, it follows up in there, it says, because he had done no violence, it means even though he didn't do violence, even though Christ did not do violence, he was the most caring, loving, compassionate person ever to walk the face of this earth. His influence is amazing. Think about the hospitals. They were started because of Christianity. So many things were started because of Christianity that people don't attest to. He did no violence, but he was afflicted with tremendous violence. So we go back to Philippians. Hardship. When we face hardship, when we face trials, when we face difficulties, not if, when Paul was facing them at the present time in Philippi, and he told them, we saw last week, the church at Philippi, you have an adversary, you are facing hardship. But that's normal. That's normal as Christians. Hopefully the hardship and the trials that we face are nothing like they faced. We pray that, right? God wants, to live us, wants us to live a quiet and peaceable life. But the hardship and difficulty that we face, understand that Jesus Christ faced more. But again, the amazing thing of this, he volunteered. He went out of heaven off his throne, out of glory, and all the things that, all the benefits of glory, and he volunteered to come to the earth and became man and didn't consider it robbery that those things were taken. And then he had a humble mind. Remember, humility is nothing in herself. He was thinking of God and he was thinking of us. He went to that cross, and I believe this, if you were the only person that was going to get saved, he still, it still would have been worth it to him. That's why Jesus came. There is nothing that's going to stop him. He said that he laid his white life down willingly. Why? Because he had you in his mind. Because he loves you and he's willing to die for you. And here's the thing. Even though we're yet sinners, he didn't look at us and say, look at the good in us. No, no, that doesn't glorify God. No, there's no good. There's no good in us. He looked at us and said, even though you're sinners, even though you don't like me, even though you despise me, even though the thief on the cross was mocking him, he later would forgive him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was his love for you and his love for God that drove him to that cross. He wasn't thinking of himself. That's you know. And he endured hardship for that. And Paul's writing to this two ladies that are prominent members and saying, have a humble mind. Think about Jesus Christ. That means deferring. If that means being a peacemaker. If that means that you have to endure hardship or be mistreated, then do it. If that means to keep the peace in your mind. 
to a certain degree. And then there's honor. There's honor. Look at verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him. It means that he is exalted above anyone at all. Actually, what's happened here is he's restored to his position before he came back. Before he came to this earth, he's being restored again to his position. But he's teaching us. Remember his disciples? They're all arguing, who's going to sit on your left hand and your right hand? I want to sit closer to Christ in the kingdom. And remember, and, 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 and Jesus is teaching them about, you know, there's a cup that I'm going to have to drink. And they didn't understand that. They wanted to glory, but they didn't want to hardship. And we're the same, aren't we? Christ said, there's going to be hardship. And they all faced it. They all faced it. But God exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The most prominent and precious name in the universe is Jesus Christ. Some people curse, but that won't happen. That will all change someday. Because the Bible says this. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of those in heaven. Probably speaking about the demonic realm there. Because the angels probably is inferred that they have already bowed the knee to Christ. But every demon that opposes Christ someday will bow to Christ. Is the idea. Of those in heaven and those on earth. The people today that say that we don't believe in God or we want nothing to do with God. will bow down and say someday Jesus Christ is Lord. We had a, we had a, a, a guy one time. Um, over in Ireland that did, from Answers of Genesis, that did a, um, a defense of, of, of creation, apologetic on creation. And he went into Europe and he went into the, the universities and he taught what he believed, um, how the earth became into being and, and the natural laws of science, etc. And a lot of the professors, he said, were saying that's very viable. You have some good information. And then I asked him, well, were they open? And he said, no. And I'll tell you why. Because they would have to say that if there is a God, then we are accountable to him. And we don't want to be accountable to him. Psalm chapter 2. The Bible says that these same people that walk the earth today will bow and say that Jesus Christ is. And the Bible says this. And those under the earth are in the earth. You know, when you're a little, when you're probably in elementary school, you were taught what's in the center of the earth. Hot, lava, heat. I believe that's a temporary place of the unbeliever called hell today in the center of the earth. And someday, Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne, and it's very sad. But let's remember this. Let's remember this to give us a soft heart for people, even enemies. Is that someday even those people are going to be raised out of hell. And they're going to stand before God, the great white throne. And they're going to be given a judgment. And they're going to be cast in the lake of fire forever. And that's horrible. That's horrible. And we don't want to think about that. 
But someday before they do that at the great white throne, every person that's ever lived, no matter how great or small, and their bodies will come out of the grave. And if their ashes were, were sprinkled on the ocean, those ashes will be formed again and they will stand bodily, physically on this earth or on the new earth before Jesus Christ and they will bow the knee and they will say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. God's glorified. So Jesus Christ was humbled, was humble. Jesus Christ went through hardship, but Jesus Christ is now honored and he sits at the right hand of God the Father in glory and someday in Revelation 19, he will come to the earth and he will set up his kingdom and we will come with him to set up that kingdom on earth. Praise his name. And we can look forward to it. And so as we come back to today and we come back to our problems and our trials and our difficulties, we can always go back to this. That God humbled himself to die on a cross for us to have a relationship with him. And because we have a relationship with him, and if we abide in him, we can have joy no matter what we go through. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who endured the cross, a death that was so hideous and and horrible. So hideous and horrible that the Roman citizens were not allowed to go through. We thank you for his humble mind that he did not think, Lord, of himself, but he thought of you and he thought of us. He went through all that. He left his throne. He was robbed of some of the great benefits of being God. All for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us, help us in trying to fathom that. And may that truth apply to our lives, help us to emulate him because he is our great example. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.